0: Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. What we've been doing as church family, all last year we took a look at one thing, the kingdom of God, what is it? And this year, we're taking a look at the kingdom of God, how do you live in it? And Jesus delivers this sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, where he casts his vision for a new kingdom and a new people. And so all year, we're going to be taking a look at the Sermon on the Mount. Now, in that, at the epicenter of the Sermon on the Mount is this thing called the Lord's Prayer. And so what we did all last year, and we're going to do all this year, is we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to say it out loud together. And so let's pray the Lord's, out, Lord's Prayer out loud together and then you may be seated. Let's pray it. This then is how you should pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in Charlottesville as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. You may be seated. So what we're doing is we are going to move through the Sermon on the Mount, and it begins with this chunk of the Sermon on the Mount called the Beatitudes. We're going to get to that in a moment. What the text tells us is, is that When Jesus saw the crowds, Matthew 5, 1 through 4, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Then we have the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We're gonna look at mourning next week. Now in line with that, I want us to look again at what we just read. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Now what we need to understand is, is that the gospel is very clear as to what motivated Jesus to deliver the Sermon on the Mount. It was the crowds, the crowds, Now, in line with that, notice what the text says. Jesus sees the crowds and he goes up on a mountainside and he sits down. By the way, in his culture, if you're a rabbi and you're getting ready to deliver an important talk, you sit down. And at the moment Jesus sits down, the crowd knows that he's going to deliver a teaching. And so his disciples gather right next to him And the text says he teaches them. He teaches his disciples. But the crowd gets to hear what Jesus is saying because this teaching, he goes up on a mountainside in order to be able to deliver it in sort of an environment where a lot of people can hear. He positions himself so that people are able to see him and hear him. And the Greek word there for crowd is it's a ton of people. Now, Jesus was motivated by the crowd. When he saw them, he delivers his teaching. Now, in order to understand crowd, I'm going to show you a, um, a pastoral schematic. You're gonna to get to look under the hood of every church in the U.S. Every woman pastor, every man pastor, by and large, knows this schematic that's up on the screen. It was um, put together by a pastor by the name of Rick Warren. All of us who are clergy people uh, have looked to Rick Warren for a lot of things. He's an incredible systems thinker. And he basically looked at the gospel, saw what Jesus did, and then developed this schematic. And so here's kind of under the hood of pastoral ministry and clergy. When every pastor looks at their community... And their church, here are the concentric circles of involvement. You have community. These are people that at best know where the church is. Then you have the crowd. The crowd are people, we're going to come back to this in a moment, who know nothing about the church but have suddenly started to step into the church. Then you have the congregation, and the congregation are the people, like many of you. We have people in here who are part of the crowd, but many are part of the congregation where you understand the vocabulary of church. You kind of get what goes on in church. And then what you have is you have the committed, and then you have the core. I went through this process as a preteen boy. I was raised on a farm in Wisconsin. We absolutely never went to church. And then one day, a lady that played bridge with my mother began to tell her about Jesus. And it was at the end of the Jesus movement where a lot of hippies were coming to faith, hundreds of thousands of them. And my mom, not a hippie by any stretch, but this woman invited my mother to come to church. And so we went from spending Sundays on the farm doing chores to the blessed existence of going somewhere where I didn't have to do any work. Amen. (laughs) So we go into this church, so I go from the community to where I'm now stepping into the crowd. And here's what I knew. I knew none of the vocabulary. Everyone would throw words around like saved or born again or the books of the Bible, or, and I knew none of them. So I didn't know the vocabulary. I didn't know the liturgy. I didn't know anything. Didn't know any of the songs, nothing, zero. And I remember what it felt like to go in there Were people using terms, I don't know what they mean. I was clearly not part of the club, clearly not. And the pastor would get up and say, as you all know, John 3.16, I used to think as a nine-year-old boy, I don't know. Like I don't have a clue what John 3.16 is. And who is John? Like who's this dude that everyone referenced by the name of John? Well, I went from community to crowd to congregation. I began to find out who John was. And I began to find out what terms like saved and faith and trust and all those terms meant. And then I moved from congregation to committed and then from committed into the core. And while I was part of the core, I got a call to be a pastor. It's kind of how it worked. Well, I want you to notice who Jesus is referencing. He sees the, the crowd The people that don't know the vocabulary, they're not in the center. They don't have a clue what's going on. Now, here's what's even more insightful is that the end of chapter 4 in Matthew tells you exactly who's in the crowd. So let's take a look at the end of Matthew chapter 4, and then we'll come back to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 through 25, tells us who's in the crowd. Here we go, it says Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news. Always remember, any time in English you see the English words good news, it's the Greek word gospel. So Jesus went into their synagogues proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And news about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain the demon possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from the Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So here's what's happening in a nutshell. Matthew, the end of chapter four, just before we have the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is going around. He's making this weird claim that the kingdom of God is now here. Now, in the gospel of Matthew, it's called the kingdom of heaven, In the other gospels, it's called the kingdom of God. It's the same thing. Jesus is going to synagogues and little towns and saying, the kingdom of God is here. And then he makes the move to push back all the dysfunction and the brokenness that humankind suffers from, from emotional to spiritual to physical. He heals all of that as proof that the kingdom's now here. And those people go, I want to follow him. And so these crowds begin to form. But what's important to recognize is, who's in the crowd? Well, we know his disciples are there. They are holy, righteous Jewish men. And they're sitting right up front. And the text says, but Jesus sees the crowd. And in the crowd are people from Syria, People from Syria in Jesus' day are filled with spiritual cooties. They don't even, Jews don't even know what they believe. And then there's also people there from the Decapolis. Well, that's the 10 Roman cities. So we now have Gentiles from the 10 Roman cities who are Romans who worship Zeus and worship all the other gods. They're idolaters. And they're in the crowd. And then for people across the Jordan, another group of people that Jews don't have a clue what they believe. And the text says, that's who makes up the crowd. Now you gotta picture this. Jesus' disciples are sitting right in the front row, they're right next to him, and Jesus looks over them and begins the Sermon on the Mount. And who's there? A lot of toxic people spiritually. And a ton of non-Jews. And as a good Jewish man, they had never been to the Nicopolis, they had never been to Syria, and they had definitely never been across the Jordan because good Jewish people never go there because that place is spiritually toxic. You never go there. And yet that's now who's in the crowd. And Jesus... Looking at the crowd over the heads of his disciples says the following in Matthew 5.2. This is his inaugural statement at announcing his kingdom. Here's what he says. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I picture Jesus raising his hands like a rabbi and announcing a blessing. Blessed are those who are poor of spirit because you are the kingdom of heaven, it's you. And his disciples sit there and go, wait, what? That's not how this thing works. How it works is you're a good Jewish man And you live by 613 laws. That's how you know you're in the kingdom. And Jesus goes, not in mine. It's not how it's gonna work. Now, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Because if that's how you're blessed, then we need to figure that out. Well, by the way, blessed is the Greek word makurios, which means happy, blessed, or to be envied. And so when you hear the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes are these nine things that Jesus announces are blessings. These folks are blessed. Now, real quickly here, there are three photographs that I've taken of the Mount of Beatitudes. I took these in October. That's the Sea of Galilee. There's the hillside where the sermon took place. There's the church that is the Church of the Beatitudes. And here's a view. And this, my wife took this picture off the back of the Church of Beatitudes looking back down at the Sea of Galilee. This is the spot that traditionally is said where Jesus delivered this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Now, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Here's what poor means, the Greek word that he uses. It means to crouch or cower like a beggar. Properly bent over, deeply destitute, completely lacking resources, helpless as a beggar, relates to the pauper rather than the mere peasant, the extreme opposite of rich. And then the word spirit is the Greek word pneuma, which means wind, breath, or spirit. It's the same exact word that's used for Holy Spirit or Spirit of God. So Jesus gets up and he announces a blessing at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount and says, all of you who are spiritually destitute, you're blessed. You're to be envied. And all of the Jews in the crowd go, I don't think so. Because that's not how it works. You live by the 613 laws and that's how you're blessed. And Jesus says, not in my kingdom. That's not how my kingdom's going to work. What we need to understand is, to be poor in spirit is not a good thing. It's definitely not where you want to be. Being poor in spirit is something that every Jesus follower tries to get away from. But that's not what Jesus says at the beginning of his inaugural sermon here. In this teaching on the kingdom, he says... Blessed are the poor in spirit, not even those who know they're poor in spirit, the people who are actually spiritually destitute. They're blessed. Matthew 5, 2. By the way, we're gonna put feet to our faith from now on for this sermon. Matthew 5.2, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit for there's kingdom of heaven. I rewrote it, translated it the following way. Blessed are the people who are utterly impoverished spiritually because the kingdom of heaven is them. I've met people who are poor in spirit. Now, I went through the process of being part of the community, to the crowd, to the congregation, to the committed, to the core. I went through that. And through that process, I found a call into ministry and I find myself as a a university chaplain and I remember getting up front, the university chaplain, for totally forgetting my own personal experience and we're there in the chapel at Princeton and there's about 30 students there and I get up and begin to teach and I go, you know how the Bible says, we were studying in Exodus and I said, you know how the Bible says that Moses delivered God's people from Egypt into Israel and two of the students went, no, what well, what? How do you not know this? They go, not only do we not know this, we've never even heard this story before, and we don't even know what the book of Exodus is. And I thought to myself, who invited these people? <laughs> and here the students in the fellowship are inviting their friends to come check out the kingdom. And their friends know absolutely nothing. And they're completely poor of spirit. One of the best ways I could exemplify this is I was at a wedding last yesterday evening with Tim and Robin, they attend City. I didn't officiate the wedding, their son did, so I got a break and got to sit through a wedding, which was awesome, their son did a great job. I'm sitting there in the wedding, the wedding's awesome, wedding's over, and Tim is the father of the bride, his daughter's name's Claire. He gets up and he takes the microphone and he steps into the middle of the reception and he puts the mic to his mouth and he begins to talk. And instantly he talks about his daughter Claire. Could you imagine if he took the microphone and he started talking about some girl like Susan? He's just talking about Susan. And everyone there goes, Tim, Tim, uh, no, it's not the point. And by the way, who is Susan? And he goes, Oh, Susan, this random girl over here that was walking through the crowd at the beginning of the reception handing out our derbs. That's Susan. We'd all say the point of the talk is Claire. And he's like, but I want to talk about Susan. And someone would finally take the mic from Tim and say, you can't do that. That's how the Sermon on the Mount starts. Jesus takes the microphone, and everyone, when he says, blessed are they, he ought to say the righteous Jews, and he doesn't. Jesus takes the microphone and says, blessed are those who are completely and utterly without anything of faith. They're blessed. And the crowd goes, wait, what? And the Beatitudes get worse from here just so you know. And what you quickly discover is that the Sermon on the Mount presents such an upside-down kingdom that from the outset, you ought to be scratching your head. And one of the brightest theological minds of our day talks about how for centuries... People who translated the Greek into a language that could be understood like from Greek to English struggled with this initial beatitude and here's why. It is literally to be translated blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven but everyone tries to translate it differently and here's why. This struggle with the translation reflects our intense need to find in the condition referred to something good like being poor in spirit, must be good. Something God supposedly desires or even requires that then can serve as a reasonable basis for the blessedness Jesus now bestows. But that precisely misses the point that the very formulation of the Beatitudes should bring to our attention. Jesus did not say blessed are the poor in spirit because they are poor in spirit. He did not think What a fine thing it is to be destitute of every spiritual attainment or quality. It makes people worthy of the kingdom. Those poor in spirit are called blessed by Jesus, not because they're in some meritorious condition, but because precisely in spite of and in the midst of their ever so deplorable condition, The rules of the heavens have moved redemptively upon them by the grace of Jesus. So there is nothing good about being poor of spirit. But Jesus announces they're blessed. There's nothing good about it. And that's how the Beatitudes start. Putting feet to our faith with this means simply this. Next week, you're going to get to hear about Alpha. You've been hearing about it for weeks. But Alpha is a ministry where you will go through the roll decks of your life and you'll meet with friends or people that you know are spiritually impoverished. And you will ask them if they would like to attend a meal with you where there will be a safe place to talk about faith. But here's the thing about Alpha. Alpha's incredible. Millions and millions of people have been through this course and come to faith. But how Alpha works is, is you clear out your schedule so that you and your friend go together. And you sit in those discussions with them. And you come as a resource to people who are spiritually poor and impoverished. And the amazing thing is, is that this ministry came out of an Anglican church in London, England. And millions of people have gone through it and come to faith. But the beauty of Alpha is, is that it's in that context where people begin to recognize there's this God whose son looks at them and says, you are destitute spiritually. And because of that, you're blessed. And it's only Jesus that can say that. No one else can. Would you stand with me as we close? As we stand together, I want you to know something. If you're in the kingdom, it doesn't mean you're unblessed. It's just that Jesus' first blessing is pronounced over people who his disciples said, There's no way that can be true. And again, the Beatitudes get worse from here. But in it, we discover an upside down kingdom, a kingdom that's antithetical to the kingdoms of this world. Let's take just a moment and close our eyes, but open our hearts. Jesus, speak to us. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit for the kingdom of heaven is for them.